You can now listen to Conning the Con ad-free on Apple subscription and buymeacoffee.com forward slash Conning the Con. But that is not all you will find there. I've got two little words for you. Tonka Trilogy. If you know, you know, right? And if you don't, keep listening to Con in the Con and it will all become clear soon enough. And if you want a sneak peek, head over to at Con in the Con on Instagram and get a look at the lighter side of this, well, very heavy con story. Simply click the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts for ad-free and bonus content. Or if you aren't an Apple user, head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash con where on top of that ad-free and bonus content, you can access exclusive videos. You'll find all the links, as always, in the show notes. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this. Tickets that not only look, but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Something is creeping don't follow it down. You know, not all cons are created equal. There are so many schemes and manipulations that con artists can use to part you with your money. But one thing that they almost always have in common is the use of charm. But charm, it can only go so far. So what happens when they find themselves on the ropes and charm is no longer working for them? With con artists, the charm is very superficial. So it's like a thin veil over the top of some nasty personality traits. That thin veil of charm, that's kind of the the skill that gets them through life and makes them feel in control of their environment and the people around it. And if they start to get the sense that that charm isn't working, if people are questioning them, they'll feel embarrassed, humiliated, rage. So that's when you'll see the kind of other mode slip through, which is the kind of more aggressive, angry mode. And those are the two states they tend to operate in. They don't really have many other tools in the toolbox other than the charm. So when that's not working, bring in the the aggressor. Dr Muir there. Coming up in this episode... At that point, I didn't actually know who I was dealing with, though, if he was dangerous physically. That whole way, I am shaking. I can feel my body just being in adrenaline mode. He comes in. This is the first time that I have seen him since I knew who he was, and my skin crawls. I'm Sarah Ferris. 
And I'm Emma Ferris, and this is my story, Conning the Con. episode we left Emma on the 9th of April. It had been a really eventful day so far. With the help of her friends she had discovered Andrew Tonks's true identity. She'd spent that morning sorting out the lies from the truth. The largest of those lies was that the successful entrepreneur with restaurants and trucking companies and property developments was actually a dispatch worker for a local trucking company with a criminal history of repeated convictions for fraud. And with the help of her brother, she'd managed to freeze his bank accounts, not knowing if any of her cash was actually left in them. Time was ticking, and she couldn't freeze them forever without Andrew becoming suspicious. She needed a plan. Over that day, I had been in contact with the fraud department of my bank, and they were amazing. One conversation that really changed that whole trajectory of that day was this woman in the fraud department said to me there is only two options for me to get that money back the first one is to work with the police now you would think that this would be the most efficient way to get the money back but in reality this process was full of red tape and could be dragged out for many many months even years in some cases by which time Angie would most likely have known that the con was up of course and who knows which way he would have jumped then there was no guarantee that it would result in Emma getting even a single cent of her money back the second option was to actually go to the bank and if I was going to go to the bank I had to go with Andrew and I need to be in person She said, that is probably the only way you're going to get that money back. There was, however, one rather large fly in the ointment. It required Andrew to firstly agree to go to the bank with Emma and secondly, actually sign the documents to allow the transfer of the money back to her account. So in short, Emma had to convince a con artist to give back the money he'd only stolen the day before. It wasn't going to be a task for the faint-hearted. In that moment... It actually didn't feel like I had an option, that my only option was to go to the bank. That flight or fight momentum was kicking in, and I think from that earlier in the morning where I was so determined to not let him get away with this, and there was a few things along that day that became really clear. The one was that I had to be okay as I came out of this, that I had to survive it. I had to get as much money back, and I had to protect myself and the kids. At that point, I didn't actually know who I was dealing with, though, if he was dangerous physically because there was a lot of mental manipulation and threats there, but actually what he was capable of. If you recall from the last episode, once Emma had discovered Andrew's real identity, she had started asking for the money back. Initially, she had said it was because she had had second thoughts about mixing business with pleasure. But after the talk with the fraud department, that is when she realised she needed a way to apply pressure to get the money back, but still keep the relationship intact. She knew that the money was frozen in his account at this stage, but she had no idea how much. It may have been the full 300000 or it could have been $5 for all she knew. She had to tread very carefully. And so 
I decided that the best thing is I had to get as much money back as I could and the only way was to go to the bank. So while Emma is formulating a plan, Andrew realises that the money in his account is frozen and he starts to get a little bit suspicious. Are you the reason the bank is taking so long to get back to me? I need an answer, sweetness. We haven't even got to one week of the arrangement and it appears you're trying to sabotage it. I've been nothing but upfront with you. This is really upsetting me, babe. And I said, look, it's, I don't think it's me. And then I said, oh, I just, that it's my brother and that they've found out and that's the reason why it's happening. So to clarify, Andrew thinks that our brother is applying pressure on Emma to recall the money because he doesn't trust Andrew. It turns out to be the perfect cover story for Emma. I don't know if he believes it, but there's, he did go along with it. And I said, the only way that I can unlock it, the bank has said to me, which was actually true, was if we go in person and you bring your ID in and we do it together. He does go along with that idea. At this point, Andrew probably thinks he has to cut his losses. However, he doesn't give up without a fight. But he does direct the anger at a different target this time. My brother. He sends Emma this text referring to him and his building business. Let's just say you'll need to show me how he's paying you $160,000 a year before I do. I might get some of my contacts to see how the building business is going up that way. Just kidding. I will forgive and forget. At that point, I had already checked in with my friend who was a policeman. He wasn't working in a police role at that point because he was the one connecting me with detectives and, and kind of just giving me enough support to know if I am on the right track. I checked with my lawyer. I must admit he was kind of a bit new to the whole dealing with a con man and was like, okay, yep, that sounds fine. And I checked in with my brother and he was like, look, if that's what you're comfortable with, but at any stage you can walk away, which was often always what he said to me, any stage you can walk away. But I was like, no bloody way. I am fighting this. I'm going to get that money back. I hadn't had any direct contact with the police itself, like actually going, talking to a policeman. And the big part of that was that the Christchurch terror attack had happened just a few weeks beforehand. And this was a huge, significant moment in New Zealand at the time. And many of the detectives in our Queenstown area were actually up still in Christchurch dealing with the victims and supporting them and taking statements and being part of that. So there was actually only one detective that was covering all of Queenstown area at that point and quite a big area. She was dealing with all the major serious crimes, sexual abuse, all the other stuff that was above the radar or, I guess, much more high priority than a white-collar crime. And so I went in to the police station, and they knew I was coming in just to do a very, you know, it was almost to have a quick, to put a statement in, but just to figure out where I was going with it. Like, I just had had no input, and I was freaking out in many ways, but also felt in control, which is kind of weird to say. So I met with this lovely constable, Ben, and Ben, I, I sat with him for about 15 minutes as we talked through things, Emma filled the constable in on the discussion she'd had earlier with the fraud department and that she'd actually managed to follow their advice and get Andrew to come willingly to the bank. The police, they were on board with the plan and although she was meeting him in a public place and there would be cameras on him at all times in the bank, it was not going to be without a risk to her safety. The policeman said to me, gosh, you are so lucky that you found out now and I remember thinking, oh my God, but I've only just found out and it could be it, it could be so much worse or it could be so much better if I haven't fallen through this. And 
he wished me good luck going to the bank. I remember that. And he also said, if I can try and get a picture of his number plate, which I was like, okay, taking that on board. Like, okay, I'll go if I can, if I can. And so I drive about 15 minutes to the bank. That whole way I am shaking. I can feel my body just being an adrenaline mode. I park up and I look over and I see the bloody ugly orange Ford <laughs> Ranger. <laughs> so I, I, I saw that and I looked around to see if I could see him in it and I couldn't. So I, I got my phone out before I went out of the car and I walked past and took a, a cheeky photo. And then I walked into the bank and I could see that he, he wasn't there. And I looked over and he was coming over from the service station, which was nearby. So he's walking towards it. So I got in first. I was able to talk to the, the, the bank manager. And bearing in mind, the bank manager knew that I was coming in. The, the, the boss of the actual bank knew what was going on. The Ford department were on standby for this. And even the receptionist, who I don't even know if she knew, but was just, she was so sweet and lovely. By this point in the day, the bank had already confirmed to Emma that the amount in the account that was frozen, it was that $200,000 that Andrew had sent a screenshot of earlier in the day to her. So in that screenshot, there was also another account and that had $7,000 in it as well. And what Emma didn't know at the time was that was also her money. However, the bank was unable to share that information with her in that moment. So Emma is focused solely on the 200000 in the frozen bank account. And a reminder that we have used an actor for the voice of Andrew. He comes in. This is the first time that I have seen him since I knew who he was. And my skin crawls and I believe even now feeling it, I just want to punch something thinking about it. He walks in all confident in his shirt and um, nice dress pants, like he's a businessman and he has this demeanor about him, which is, it's not angry or aggressive. It's like a mixture of it. It's like a disgust, like I can't believe they're doing this to me. I should have gotten ostrich for it because I ended up, I gave him a hug and then a kiss and I remember being like, I'm so sorry this is happening. I don't know what my family's doing. And he's, he was just like, well, you know, it's not like your brother can give you a deal like this. I'm sure we can sort it out, but like, this is bad. This is really bad that they're doing this to you and us. It was the most uncomfortable. It felt like an hour, but I think I was only there for like 10 or 15 minutes, 15 minutes maybe. At that point, the bank manager was coming out and I finally saw his mask slip. This like side of him, of this anger, which he'd always, I think, covered up so well. That superficial charm that Dr. Muir referenced at the beginning of the episode is cracking. The controls over their anger are pretty weak. So that's probably what you're maybe seeing there is that underlying aggression or rage or anger breaking through that very thin veil of superficial charm and now a word from our sponsors my name is bill huffman and i am a former cleveland news producer and i am now the host of the podcast who killed i began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of amy maholovic and now each week i explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve 
I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point... When you're wrong. It was all fictitious. She stole from my son, who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. So he's, oh, he talks to the bank manager and he is so frustrated. Once this is all done, I want my accounts closed today. I don't want to deal with you ever again. This has been the most terrible, terrible service that your bank has given. I'm watching it and just kind of taking it in and they're like, yep, okay, that's we, we can close your accounts, but that money that you have in them and that other separate account, that 7000 we don't, we don't have cash for that amount in the bank, so we can't give that to you in that amount. What can you do about it? How am I going to get it? And they said, well, we can give you a bank check and we can give you some in cash. And he, he sort of said, well, fine, go away and sort it out. Go away and sort it out. And we were standing near the reception at that point, and again, even now I feel this, like, shaking coming on as I think about standing there. And he's kind of leering over me. Well, you know this is not ideal. How are we going to move forward from this? And there was one comment. No, there was two moments there. Again, the mask had dropped. And it was one of the times that I really felt very scared for my safety and for my family. I know people. And this is the kind of thing I would take people's legs out for. You know, his, my brother should watch out, basically. At that point, got angry and defensive. I felt safe in that environment to say, don't you dare say that about my family if you ever came after them like that. And he pulled back and goes, oh, well, I wouldn't do anything. You know, like the mask came back up. But, oh, just that moment was, it was like seeing this this psychopath in front of me. 
The next one was the fact that I had used an alias to call the trucking company. Emma is referring to the phone call she had made to the trucking company earlier in the day. She'd used the name Joe Poplar to find out if Andrew was, as he said he was, about to be appointed to the board of the company. But of course, she'd actually discovered that he just worked in dispatch. After the phone call, Andrew's boss, who had probably taken the call, must have told Andrew that a Joe Poplar had called asking about an Andrew Tonks. So later that day, prior to the whole bank, Andrew had written a short text saying, Joe Poplar, really, babe? just to let Emma know that he was on to her digging around. So back in the bank, Andrew shows his true colours again. He says to Emma, You know, babe, the fact you called up that company and said you were someone else, well, that's, you know, something police can actually take your kids away from you for. At that moment, I, I remember like, my face being quite blank and being like, oh, my God, really? But then also being like, are you fucking kidding me? In my head, like being like, sorry for the language, but this is literally what was in my head. You're a con man telling me that I can't pretend to be someone. It was just ridiculous. And I said, oh, I didn't even know that. Like, you know, that's so important to me. Like he knew, he knew the buttons to push. We then sit down on the the couch that's near the in, in the waiting area and they the back manager comes back out again okay so we can we can sort these things out you have to sign this document to say that you are going to be releasing that money over and then once that's happened we can get the we can do it our end to transfer the money over so i know behind the scenes they are dealing with they're ringing up the fraud department in that bank and getting them to transfer it over my bank manager was so lovely and amazing over that time and I remember sitting on the couch, like there's all these kind of little moments in that day that just just are so, I guess, like drawn onto my mind. They are just etched in there. And I'm sitting on the couch with him. And I think we might have even been holding hands. Like that's how like I felt like I had to play the part. And then I think I might have pulled back and he then pulled back and we could feel the body language change. And it was kind of like a, I was like, oh, thank God, I don't have to touch the psychopath anymore. But the... The reception lady's like just standing over to the side. She's like, so how's your day been? And like, I know, I'm pretty sure she knows what's going on. I was like, oh, well, you know, it's been nice and sunny out in Glenorchy and it's lovely. The kids are going to be back from school soon sort of thing. She's like, oh, that's so good. And then he's looking away at something else and she literally mouthed me, are you okay? Like literally, are you okay? And I would be like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm okay. It was just this kind of surreal moment. So that paperwork gets all done up. We get finished. And at that point, we the, we leave the bank and we step outside and he goes, hey, do you want to go for a drink? Do you want to like take a moment? We can go chat about this and we can sort it out. And I go, I'm so sorry. You know that I have work tonight, that I've been so busy. I've got to go and do work with this couple that I've been working with and, and I can't change it. Let alone there was no bloody way that I was able to function or go to work that day. I was just like, this. how am I not going to spend any time with him? So Okay, we had a hug, uh, which again makes my skin crawl. And then he walked back to his car and I walked to my, and I sat in my car for a moment and I saw his car drive off. I drove my car out. And when I saw him leave the roundabout and go away, I drove back around in and parked and ran back into the bank. And I, I think that was one of the first times that day that I actually collapsed. Just enough because that whole build up to that point was just exhausting. And I didn't realize because I was just in adrenaline mode. 
And the bank manager came out, the, the the manager of the whole bank and my actual bank manager herself, and they were just like, oh, my God, are you actually okay? Are you safe? And I was like, I don't know, but just please tell me the money's going to be there. And the bank manager was just, she said, there's going to be the 10000 will have transferred and you'll hopefully see that very soon. And I looked at my bank straight away and I I could see that 10000 had come through. And she goes, if that, that, and then the next bit will come through in the next 24 hours. It was actually back in in within uh, that next 10 minutes. It was just such relief. And I remember walking out of there like crying and shaking, but just being like, oh, thank God, I'd done it. I was numb at that point and I drove the hour home and I a lot of that, a lot of that, that afternoon and evening, I can't remember too much. I remember being having friends and family around and trying to get through it. And my my ex-husband ended up taking the kids for me, but also for the next few days because we were worried about their safety and my safety and what was going to happen. We didn't know who this person was. He'd threatened my family. For Andrew, the stakes were now pretty high. He'd lost the $200,000, but as far as he knew, his facade of being a successful businessman was still intact. And for him, that meant a low risk of being exposed as a fraud. So it was in his best interests to keep Emma on side. Ah, oh, babe, please try not to stress. I was furious over dinner at your brother, but then worked through it to think, hey, having someone looking out for you is good. The logic I'm not clear on is I could only see a win-win. But I know there are some scum out there. Trust me, I know. But I'm definitely not one of them. So at that point in the day, he he still has a hundred thousand of my money. And he swears that he was going to give me that 100k back in the next 24 hours at that point the police really still weren't involved like I didn't I I wasn't meeting with detectives at all it was all very like I didn't know what I was dealing with and I didn't want to let him know that I knew that was a very clear I don't even know why but I was like there's no way he's going to find out that I know the full story because I had to do everything in my power that I could to get any of that remaining money back So I didn't really know how long this would go on for at that moment. I thought maybe it would only be 24 hours and people would get involved, the police would get involved and it would all be stopped or shut down. And like Emma, you would think that discovering Andrew's identity and the fact that he was a serial con man would be the end of this story, right? That's probably a pretty fair assumption. But actually, Emma and Andrew's relationship was like a roller coaster. That day after the bank, well, that was just the first hairpin. Coming up were some corkscrew turns she could never have seen coming. If you liked our story, please share with family and friends and like, subscribe and review so others can learn from my lessons. If you or anyone you know has been affected by something similar, please reach out for help. You are not alone. We've included some links in our show notes. Conning the Con was made with the input of Dr. Sophie Muir and the original music is by the talented Aroha Min. Something is creeping in, don't fall.
more podcasts from Community Podcast Productions, like this one. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And we have a, well, not so gently named podcast called Stop the Killing. Yeah, there's a clue in the title. We need your help to end the global mass shooting epidemic. Find out how as we bring you the stories right from the source. If you would have told me that a Columbine could have happened at Columbine, I would have said, no way. I remember just thinking, he's got a gun. Something rose up inside, and I said, not my school. What we can't underestimate is the power that individuals could have in stopping these school shootings. My little boy, Alex, was murdered. If we can fix the failures, we can save lives. My daughter, Elena, was killed. She'd want me to do something about this. I know she would do something about it. Join us and be part of the solution. Subscribe now to Stop the Killing podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you listen to your true crime podcasts. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you, would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? (sighs) Download American Vigilante now. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who have overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave.